Hey everyone, Ryan here, and uh, this week's episode is going to be a little different. I'm going to package a couple of our Chaser episodes into a sort of uh, Chaser's Greatest Hits. You know, Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, digital versus traditional art. I ramble about the Siege Perilous, and I tell a bowling story that happened to me many years ago at Emerald City Comic Con. So if you've listened to every episode of The Illustrious Gentleman, you've probably heard these before, but we had to take a week off due to deadlines and getting ready for conventions and stuff like that so i wanted to put this little package together for everyone and uh, i hope you all enjoy it and please if you're in the phoenix area come on out this weekend to phoenix comic con you can see scott and i at artist alley tables 1521 and 1523 and we're also doing a live illustrious gentleman panel that we'll be recording and that will be next week's episode ideally if everything works out all right so please enjoy these three little snippets of uh, past shows and thanks for listening you can follow us on twitter at tig underscore show all the episodes are available on tigshow.com and you can follow scott at scotty at scotty god sorry and you can follow me at ryan cody so thanks a lot and we appreciate all the support welcome to another episode of the illustrious gentleman the place where comic book artists and top blokes scott garleski and ryan cody talk about life work comics and booze follow the show on twitter at tig underscore show and online at www.tigshow.com t-i-g-s-h-o-w.com don't forget to let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show go on yourself big man mentioned earlier that uh you don't like the term traditional art is that is that because you think it uh demeans digital art or because the end product's all the same so you don't see why there should be a difference in how it's produced i think both i think uh i i don't think i'm a big fan of the word tradition really um just because something's always been done a certain way doesn't mean it's the best way. And I think people who are going to cry about digital art not being real art and that traditional art is the only way to do it are uh, pretentious phonies. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Because, um, like, yeah, I guess what I'm saying, the, the end result's the same, right? So It is. It's all the same. It. it you're not going to be able to look at it at my table. It's not going to be in my portfolio when you come by, but matter. It doesn't matter to me. I wasn't selling that stuff anyway. Um, It's all the same skill set. I mean, I can make the same line on my tablet that I can make on a piece of paper. You know, the end result is going to look better. I'm going to save a bunch of room in my house from not having to store that stuff. I'm going to save a giant mess. Uh, other than there being no originals to sell, which really doesn't impact my bottom line much because I, I don't really sell a lot of originals anyway. There's no there's no downside. Right. I, th- I think... I, I, I can't, I can't think of a negative to doing everything 
digitally. Yeah, I think when the I think the when the argument comes up or when people talk about it, um, I feel like it's the guys who sell a lot of original art are the ones who champion, you know, uh, ink on paper art. Um, yeah, and they should. I mean, that's fine. That, that you know, if you're if you're at a show and your bread and butter is original art sales, then yeah, do it. That's fine. But I mean, it's not the only way to do it. It's not the best way to do it. Just because it's always been done that way does not make it, you know, better than any other way. Right. Yeah. I think I think some people might think of it as cheating, but that's just because they don't understand. They don't understand fundamentals. It's like it's like any skill in life. You have to have fundamentals before you can move on. And you know, right. people who think that like, oh, it's 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 easier to work digitally. Um, it's not. It's the exact same. It's the exact same thing. If anything, it's just a little faster, maybe. Um, but yeah, the, the skill, I'm still the skill set in the is the same I, amount of work. I'm just cutting out steps in my process. Right, and the skill set is identical. I think um, if it's identical, if you um, if you think of it as the same process. So if you go into inking a digital uh, page on your uh, Cintiq the same as you would go into inking a traditional page, then the end result is going to be almost exactly the same. Um, whereas if you don't know how to handle uh, line weights and spot blacks and stuff like that, even if you're working digitally, your your work is going to show that. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting argument, but I think it the argument comes down to do you make a bunch of money off original art sales? If the answer is yes, it probably makes sense for you to work traditionally and supplement your income. And if the answer is no, you're probably just uh, you're making it harder on yourself by uh, not taking advantage of the newest uh, technology available. Yeah, I would I would argue that your final product is probably actually suffering if you're not doing it digitally. Yeah, but I think once is what what you're seeing with your eyeball on that page is not what is going to translate through your scanner into the final file. It's just not. Right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you compared a book that was drawn digitally to a to a, fin- a finished comic that was done digital to a finished comic that was done traditional. I don't know when it's reduced and printed and all that if there's much of a difference. But if you're if you're one of those guys who is super anal about your specific vision getting on the page and you don't enjoy the uh, you know the happy accidents, then digital is probably the way to go. That, I mean, that's that's. That's how I feel about it, and I'm um, speaking as a guy who loves to ink traditionally. I love the process of it, but um, I think I'm going to go digital fairly soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I'm a thousand times happier. I, I don't have, I don't have to worry about, you know, my page skewing in the printer and having to waste paper out my pencils I don't have to worry about storage I don't have to worry about making a mess getting stuff on my hands on my face I don't have to worry about finding the right pen losing pens running out ordering more pens uh, ink whatever brushes fraying and you know nibs going bad and the scanning the scanning was yeah my absolute least favorite part of the whole thing was scanning I, Oh, and then the cleanup in Photoshop, taking all it out of the little spots. And, 
Yeah, I mean, I say it all the time everywhere, but it's just the just the stress. It's such a stress reducer, just just to be able to control Z and get rid of that line, or just uh, you know that I is is not really where I wanted it to be, but I already drew it and I don't want to erase it. So no worries, I'll just. I'll lasso that bitch and I'll just move it where I want to go. Did I ever tell you about this story when I was in uh, Emerald City Comic Con years ago with the Hero Initiative and the whole bowling donate, like the bowling charity event? I remember something about bowling. Yes, I remember. It was very funny. So why don't you tell me again? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but basically. <laughs> Um, because of uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mike Malvey, I've been doing work for Hero Initiative for years, even though I'm, you know, I, I don't have the status that most of the other guys who do the work there or that do covers for them and uh, charity events for them have. So I was going to Seattle and uh, the uh, volunteer coordinator uh, Emerald City Comic Con for Hero Initiative asked me if I wanted to uh, take part in this uh, event at a bowling at a bowling, uh, what do you call them, alley? Bowling alley. And um, people would pay the Hero Initiative. They would donate 50 bucks to the Hero Initiative, and they would get a raffle ticket to win a, a bowling pin that was drawn on that I did one. A lot of guys did one. Valentino, Tony Parker, uh, Mike Allred, a lot of guys drew on these bowling pins. Uh, I said I would do it without really thinking about what it was, and I show up at the bowling alley – and at the time I sh- show up, I show up early because um, that's how cool I am. I show up to parties like right away, you know, right when they start or preferably before they even start. I'm there. Uh, they have some people there who spent 50 bucks to get in and, and uh, it was donated to the Hero Initiative and they wanted to bowl and they would make teams. And so there'd be three people per team and then they would have a creator kind of as the team captain. And so I'm sitting there and the lady comes over to me. And they're nice. The charity's kind of like giving us some free drink tickets or the bowling alley's giving us free drink tickets for me and my wife and uh, my friends that live in Seattle. And so we're drinking and we're eating and all that shit. And then like, okay, well, we need to get this started. But you and Jim Valentino are the only pros here. So you're going to be captain of one of these teams and you're going to bowl against Jim Valentino. And so (laughs) we go up and we start bowling. Jim Valentino has no idea who I am. I shake his hand. And then I look at these three poor saps who spent 50 bucks a person to bowl with a professional comic creator and i'm the cat i'm the guy they get and uh you know don't get me wrong the three on the other side they were probably hoping to get like mike allred or you know some of these other guys paul chadwick or whoever else was there they got jim valentino but i mean really they're the big winners in this scenario because they got jim valentino Guy created Shadowhawk and was one of the founders of Image Comics. My team got me. And at that point, I had done one independent comic for a publisher called Viper Comics. And I had done maybe some anthology work at Image, but nothing nothing major. And these people are just like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, uh, come by my table tomorrow and I'll give you some free comics basically to make up for this, this horrible thing. <laughs> But um, you gave him free stuff. Yeah, I told him to come by my booth the next day at the show, and I gave him free comics. Um, but 
because I was uncomfortable, I started really like chugging some beers. And I had one of my best friends uh, from when I was a kid. He lives in Seattle. So he would just walk by and hand me a beer maybe like every like 10 minutes. And uh, so it actually ended up being pretty fun. I don't know how the other people on my team felt about it. But uh, we came out strong and hard against Valentino's team. But I think it might have been because I was getting hammered. They came back and beat us. But uh, it was fun. Another a lot. Yeah, I lost. And then another local uh, pro, Tony Parker. He was there. He he was a captain of a team. But they all came later. So you know they they got the full people on his team. They got the full benefits. You know they're bowling against guys they've heard of and stuff like that. Um, my guys, we were just all unlucky motherfuckers who showed up early. So let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> Always be fashionably late or else you might get stuck on the team with a guy who did a book called Villains for Viper Comics in 2006. <laughs> Poor people. Oh, it was... It was <laughs> you also lost. Yeah, it did... I don't know. I th- it could have... They might have had fun. I mean, who knows? Um, no, it sounds like fun. Did any of them come by the table for the free shit? Yeah, one or two of them did and, you know, some of them were nice and they were like, hey, we had a lot of fun last night and you know, we should have beat them. Like, it was really like kind of a pretty contested game, you know. And uh, I get really I get really competitive when it, when it comes to stuff like that, even though I'm not – I don't ever bowl. That might have been the first time I bowled in, like, 10 years. Um, you know, normal people would have known they were going to do this event, and they would have, like, gone to the – they would have gone to the bowling alley, you know, leading up to it and kind of honed their skills and gotten familiar with uh, the art of uh, bowling. Uh, I couldn't have been bothered. So when I showed up there that night, I hadn't thrown a bowling ball in maybe 10 years. And uh, something tells me Jim Valentino had been honing his craft for weeks leading up to that event because he came on strong the second half of that game. Memphis is like that. There's West, West Memphis, which is in Arkansas, and then Memphis, which is in Tennessee. Oh, how awful to have to be in either one of those. Oh, well, I mean, I think I would like it, but when I drove through, it was all construction, so it ended up being my worst part of the whole trip, so I hated it. But the Bass Pro Shop there is like a giant pyramid, which I, you know, a lot of these cities are named, like, there's a Memphis, Egypt, so I think that's where they get the pyramid from, but there's a giant Bass Pro Shop pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee. That is so strange. Yeah, I don't get it either. When I think about a Bass Pro Shop in Tennessee, I imagine it looking like a cathedral, not a pyramid. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I didn't know. Um, I learned that Cairo, I learned that a city called Cairo, Illinois, existed because of an X Men comic. When they, you, what the city exists because of an X Men comic, or you know of it because of an X Men? Well, I, I guess maybe it. it I, I learned about the existence of Cairo, Illinois, because Chris Claremont wrote it into an issue of X-Men when Storm was de-aged and went through the Siege Perilous. Were you reading X-Men comics then? Oh, you're such a fucking nerd. I don't understand any of the words you're saying. All right, so this is another good little conversation while we wait on your fucking pizza rolls. So there was like a weird reboot of the X-Men in the uh, early 90s where they where they went through this device, like a, a it's kind of like a Stargate for lack of a better term, called the Siege Perilous which this goddess told them we can fix everything. Like things were going to shit. She said, I can fix everything. You just got to accept your fate and go through this. 
So all the X-Men went through. So is at the end of the Outback X-Men. So if you ever read X-Men during the Outback X-Men time, it was during that time. So they all walk through the Siege Perilous. And then all of a sudden, the next like 12 issues, Colossus doesn't know who the X-Men are. Storm is a little girl again. You know, Dazzler doesn't know who anyone is. All their memories are kind of erased. As a kid, I hated it. But as an adult, I realized like, oh, it, it's just a way to kind of reboot. It's a good way to get like a years long stories out of this without retreading shit. So that's when that's when Storm met Gambit. She was uh, that's when Gambit was introduced. Storm was like a 12 year old girl again because she had gone through the Siege Perilous. And she came out in Cairo, Illinois, as opposed to Cairo, Egypt. And that's when Jubilee was introduced. That's when Jim Lee took over for Mark Silvestri. Um, Why did she come out in Illinois? Did this machine not know the difference between Egypt and the U.S. Midwest? It really explained. So after they go through it, it never really explained why each one was sent where they were. So Colossus was just like a Russian painter in New York and fell in love with uh, Callisto, who was unuglied at that point. <laughs> Morlocks. Uh, right. And then Dazzler became like a movie star and a singer in Hollywood. And there was a whole issue where she was, like, uh, stalked by a producer. And then who else? So Storm was a kid. Dazzler was that. Uh, I don't remember what happened to Havoc. Uh, Wolverine. I don't know. If, oh, Wolverine didn't go through it, I don't think. And maybe it was just captured by the Reavers and the Outback and tortured. And ended up getting saved by Jubilee, who Gateway somehow took her to the Outback, and he pulled her off a cross. It's like a famous cover, is Wolverine on the cross. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. So I remember as a kid being like, all I want, like, as a kid, all you want is what you're comfortable with. So I remember being really upset as a kid. And they also had a bunch of fill-in artists, so it was kind of between Silvestri and Jim Lee. They would have fill-in guys. I remember being really pissed about that as a kid. Because when you have, we I think we talked about this, but when you have the subscription, you get the issue no matter what. So if there's a fill-in guy who you think sucks you're you can't not buy the issue because you already bought it but yeah that's pretty pretty interesting time it was kind of a reboot without a reboot um but at some point i think they just all got back together and it's like oh fuck inferno happened so none of this shit matters but those are some good issues the x-men reformed so the x-men were dead that's a big thing the x-men were dead so if you knew of the x-men they were dead it was all on caught on film basically is the end of the mutant massacre or whatever so a new X-Men team started on Muir Island with Banshee, Forge, Polaris, who was super strong at that point. She was like She-Hulk. She lost her magnetic powers and became super strong. Who else? Legion. You never saw that issue? You never read when this was happening in the X-Men? There you go. This is a chaser right here to see talking for six minutes about right. the history of, you never, you never, of Claremont's X-Men. You never read those issues, though? No, I, I never read those issues. I didn't pick up anything until uh, X-Men number one. Oh, Jesus. Oh, okay. So you're more of like blue team, gold team. I was a blue team guy, yeah. And then for my birthday one year, my aunt got me a subscription to Uncanny. I was so upset. Was that, So Uncanny at that point was like Will Sportaccio and... No, it was uh, it was John Romita. Oh, yeah, he had come back. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, Will said... So 281 is like the first... I think that's the number of the the first like kind of split, like we have a gold team and a blue team was like 281. So Romita came back in like the, either the late two nineties or the early three hundreds. I know he was the artist for X-Men uncanny 300. I know he was the artist. It's funny. I'm staring at my box of X-Men comics right now. 
I'm not going to go get them, but I think, you know, that was it. Um, but yeah, that was a weird time. Like you had terrible costume designs, like Jean Grey costume was fucking horrible shoulder pads and shit. And then I don't know. It was a weird thing where like, it was almost like a crossover within the X-Men books, but who knows now there's like, now there's like six Dr. Strange books. So who the fuck knows? Yeah. So my subscription, I guess, came in after the time of Sylvester and Lee, but before Joe Mad came on. Right. So you were already, or you had come in after Gambit was introduced, after Jubilee was introduced. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. When Gambit, like, like these. We itch- were both on the blue team. Right. The blue team was most of the cartoon, right? The cartoon was kind of focused on the blue team. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I, you know, that's that's where I came in was with the cartoon. So. Right. No. So I mean, I have like all those like when Gambit showed up. Like, I specifically remember... Oh, and then there's a great... Uh, oh, man, there's a great, like, three-parter. You should check it out. Maybe there's only two issues. Maybe there's three. So, Wolverine's trying to track down Psylocke, who... That's when she became the ninja Asian, right? Prior to that, she was the British telepath. Um, she goes through the Siege Perilous, comes out an Asian ninja who works for the Hand. So, Wolverine goes to Madripoor to, to basically, like, collect her, right? Or something like that. But there's a great issue that's uh, set in the past, like set in the 40s, that's uh, Black Widow, Captain America, and Wolverine um, in Madripoor. So Wolverine as Patch, basically. He's wearing a suit, I think. Uh, that's an amazing issue. It's a single issue. It's fucking fantastic. Um, and then after that is two issues of Wolverine and Jubilee, who was just introduced in Madripoor, fighting Psylocke and uh, the Mandarin and the Hand. Um those are great, like post Siege Perilous, Perilous issues. Yeah, you should check that shit out. That that one issue is great. It's a famous cover too, Captain America, Wolverine, and uh, uh, Black Widow. It's a Jim Lee cover. I have seen that too. Yeah. No, oh, so that shit's good. So why don't you go check on your goddamn food? Yeah, let me go do that. Right. If you want to keep talking, go ahead. <laughs>